You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesy, joined by my co-host today, Joey Ikes, and we are going to play a little prospect ping pong today, something that we've done on the show uh, each year. We're going to bring three prospects to the table, go back and forth between me and Joey, some of the things we like, some of the things we don't like, um, and talk about their fits maybe with the Cowboys and just their fits in general in the NFL. Before we get started, Joey, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm busy. It's a, uh, it's a great time of year. And uh, it's uh, it's exciting to be like really talking draft and free agency in earnest now that the whole season is behind us and we've kind of done our, our postmortems. Yeah, yeah, no, like we we went really long last week on kind of, you know, fixing the Cowboys for the most part from a salary cap standpoint, a draft standpoint. We're going to go a little bit shorter today, bounce some of these prospects off of each other and talking about them, um, you know, spending two or three minutes on each guy. I'll start it off. I want to start off with a name we've heard and talked about a little bit on this show. Graham Barton, the Duke left tackle that we think is going to transition um, interior to guard or center. Um, I, w- I want to talk about him for a little bit, go a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I, I like him a lot. Uh, like I like him a lot more than some people. Um, so I kind of wanted to d- dive a little deeper into why I do like him. Um, it left it. He played fre- as a freshman at Duke. He played center. Um, he played the last five or six games at center. Um, played well at center. I only have two of those games that I'm able to see on tape. Um, like I said, he he did a really good job. And the Duke offense is not a fun offense to play in for the most part. It's it, especially his freshman year was a disaster. It's gotten better uh, as, as he's progressed and as he's gotten older. Um, the next three years, he played left tackle and did a really nice job at left tackle. Uh, he is a big, big uh, prospect from a height weight standpoint. Um, he's listed at 6'5", 314. Um, so a really tall and long um, guy that, that, like I said, at 315, he could probably stand a bulk up a little bit, but I think that's why, um, some teams are going to want to transition him to center, put him in, put him down to the center, not let, you know, his, his length is, is, is not great. And I think that's one of his biggest issues at tackle. He survived at tackle and did a really nice job, especially in pass protection without having, um, optimal length. But I think you see it in the running game a little bit with him kind of getting lungy, um, him kind of leaning into contact and maybe his balance not being great as a run blocker. But I think that's something you can minimize with the move into center, really let his athleticism, let his strong hands, his 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 frame and his power really take over uh, from that center position. So uh, that that's why I think Graham Barton is a really good fit for this team. He does have – I think if you had to stick him out at left tackle and play him at left tackle, he would do a nice job. But he is expected to come in with um, – less than 33-inch arms, and I think that that's really what's going to have some teams uh, kind of point him to the guard or center direction because of that lack of length. Yeah, Barton is really interesting because of that. You know, we talk a lot about guards to or centers to guard or guards to center or tackles to guard. We don't talk very often about tackles to center. Um, and, but like you said, playing – play in center for a, a pretty decent number of snaps, something like 400 snaps or something like that at center his freshman year. It, you know, it makes it viable. Um, maybe, you know, we see these guys a little differently sometimes, and that's part of what makes it fun. 
I don't necessarily see the the power and the strength that it seems like you do. And maybe that's just a, a selection of the games that I've watched versus the games that you've watched. But, um, but again, he's a, he's a very tall center, which there are some tall centers in the league. It's not that huge of a deal. I mean, depending on who you ask, Tyler Biotish was either a six, three or six, four. So he's, you know, not a short center. Um, and, I just I wonder the the question that I have with with uh, with Barton mainly comes with that idea of of he was okay as a run blocker at um, at Duke playing tackle, but when he's inside against some of these guys, he's going to play inside against in the league. Does he have Does he have the and you know you talk about how much like of the just the core almost like grown man strength that you can gain as an NFL offensive line. How much do you really gain? How much do you improve in that area? Because that, that area is really the one spot that can be the, um, I don't want to say the death knell, but the thing that keeps a good athletic offensive lineman from becoming, you know, a really high quality NFL starter is if they don't have that requisite core strength and, I don't know that I saw enough on tape to say, oh, Barton doesn't have it, but I just wonder if that winds up being something that holds him back inside. And if he becomes this really tricky prospect where maybe he doesn't have the sand in his pants and the, you know, the core strength and power to hold up at center on the inside, but he doesn't have the length to play outside. So what, what, what do you wind up doing with him? Does he wind up becoming like this guy who kind of has some position flex, but isn't, you know, at the high end on any of the spots. And so you're kind of trying to find a spot to fit him in. I don't know. He's clearly a good football player. I'm probably not as high on him as you are, but uh, but that's okay. And uh, and it will be interesting to see where they come down on him because they definitely like, let's go get the tackle and play him somewhere else for sure. Did you watch the uh, Clemson game from 2023? I watched – uh, I'm about half. I've got about halfway through that game. I haven't gotten all the way through that game. That, that game kind of perfectly encapsulate what I think he is. I think he is a. I mean, I, I don't know that he lost a. There was a few snaps in that game where they would send a twist or a blitz, and he was a little late getting to it. And I'm and again, like he was able to fend the blocker off and not give up a sack. But I don't know that he gave up much ground at all from one-on-one pass protection. And, and again, like I do think he's a better pass protector as a run blocker. And I think that projection to him going from outside to in is going to shine, make him shine even more as a pass protector and then probably improve kind of some of his weaknesses as a run blocker. Like you, like, like I said, like I think his hands are violent and strong. I think he shows some ability to anchor. I think moving guys like, away from the ball isn't necessarily his strong suit right now, but I think that's just, you know, as he kind of gets his his grown man weight on him and NFL weight on him, I think he'll improve. I, I think he is a slightly – because I think he he's plenty athletic. He's not an elite athlete by any – I think my comp for him is a less athletic Frank Ragnow, who's center for the Detroit Lions and really developed in one of the best centers in the league. You know, he – Looking at, you know, just watching him, I was like, man, he really reminds me of Frank Ragnall. And then, you know, I, I pulled up, you know, Frank Ragnall's my guy, which again, Frank Ragnall played center in college and played interior in college. But, um, you know, they're both six, just, just a hair over 6'5". They're both 315-ish pounds, give or take. They both have those 33, you know, I think Barton's going to be a little bit under 33-inch arms. So I think, you know, if he can, if he can weigh in what I hope he can weigh in at, and then he can you know, re, if he can reach that 33-inch arm length threshold and then test how I think he's going to test, which is going to be solid but not great, I think he has a chance to, to you know, move, make a move inside. And, again, we're looking at this from more of a Cowboys pers- standpoint. Like, I think in reality he's probably – that move to guard is going to be an easier one, but he has played center in college. You know, you see people all the time go, well, he's not a center. He hasn't played center. And it's like, well, that's where he started off in college. That's where he played his first year in college. But he has played tackle the last three years. And like you said, to start the show, you don't see that move a ton from left tackle to center. But I do think he's a guy that could do it. But I, I don't disagree that I'd like to see him, you know, I like the pass protection anchor, but I'd like to see that move forward and move guys off the ball strength kind of grow into him a little bit more. 
Yeah, and that that's always the question is is does that come? And you know, obviously he's you know, he's a 22-year-old essentially prospect right now. So he's not, a, you know, one of these 24-year-old seniors coming right. in or something yeah. like that. Um so he is a a relatively younger player. Um but it is it is interesting that he's, you know, 1200-ish snaps through his college career. Um 400 or so of those are, or no, excuse me. He's 2,400 snaps in his college career. It's crazy. He's exactly split 50, 50 between, Oh no, those are all run block snaps. I'm looking at the wrong thing. He's 1200 run block snaps in. Um, I was looking at the wrong, the wrong sheet on PFF. Um, he's 2,600 snaps in um, to his career. And, um, and he's, he's making the switch and, and maybe it's the fact that I like a couple of the centers a lot that yeah. kind of makes me say, you know, I'm, I question if drafting a guy who's too small to play tackle and moving him to play center is better than just picking a guy who plays center. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, no. The center, is, center is completely different. There's a reason why tackle to guard and guard to tackle even or center to guard is a much more usual move than anything else to center is just because there's so much that is involved pre-snap snap. And then the, the technique at the snap is so specific. It's all very intricate that it, it makes me, it makes me hesitant to say we'll draft a guy who hasn't played there in three years and we'll move him inside. And he's going to start for us as a, as a rookie which is what you're going to need for Graham Barton to do if you're picking an offensive lineman as high as you're going to pick Graham Barton. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, like your your concerns, I guess, aren't really something that I disagree with. It's just, you know, I think maybe I'm more, I'm more seeing some of his snaps as a freshman and seeing kind of what he's grown into as a tackle. I'm more confident that he can turn into that guy maybe more than a little bit you are. Yeah, I think I think there's always the chance that he could turn into that guy. I just worry that like this team is essentially on a one-year timeline. <laughs> like there's it, it's really hard to think through this Cowboys team over a 3-year time horizon right now. They, and so and we saw what you know, losing a game in week 2 or week 3 can do to what it ultimately does to your season. Like we got veteran players coming out talking about being tired in the playoffs because they didn't have a bye week when they missed a bye week by, you know, a game and a half or something like that because they lost to the Arizona Cardinals in the first, you know, three weeks of the season or something like that. So they they can't – they've got to come out rolling on offense specifically because there are going to be some changes on defense. And it's – uh and maybe I'm just maybe I'm just scared and I'm a I'm a coward, right? Because I because I don't I don't I don't I'm not fully all in on the idea. I think he can play center. I just think that like in an offense where you really look at it and you go, okay, the big change that you can make in this offense to upgrade the offense from 2023, where it was incredible, it was the best offense in the NFL by most metrics, especially by the second in the second half of the season. Um, the, the one chance you have to like, okay, we're going to make a, a significant step forward is we're going to draft an ACC offensive tackle and move him to center. Like, <laughs> you know, like you take, you take the player himself out of it and Graham Barton's a really good player and you just play that scenario out. And it's, it's a hard thing to wrap my mind around and my mind might be too small to be able to, uh, to do that. Yeah, and like I said, like it's not that I necessarily like disagree with with really anything you know you're saying because there is some projection there, especially with the position switch and, and all of that. I I do like I said, I do think the traits that we've seen on tape and then the traits that show up at tackle that that like I said, like I, I think if he had to play tackle, he'd be fine there. Um, so I do think you're getting some sort of a uh, you know, a high quality player there at tackle, at, at guard, at center. Um, I don't love the position flexibility thing as much as we we used to. But um, so let me ask you this before we move on to your guy. I know we kind of got some guys at the same position. 
some of those concerns you have with Barton and just like the lack of, I guess, you know, kind of having that projection or, you know, having, you know, like you said, needing that immediate upgrade. Does any of that give you concern with Jackson Powers Johnson, who has not played a ton of center um, and has only got one year of starting experience under his belt at Oregon? Um, there's always that concern, right? It, especially at center and we, you know, we had the conversation about all the stuff that comes along with that. But for me, I watch, you know, and I posted a, a it may have been a week or two ago now, these days all fly by just a couple of still shots. And I don't like to do this, but it's kind of a fun perspective where there was a, there was a shade nose tackle playing on Jackson Powers Johnson's left shoulder. And I posted from the opposite end zone view where you're looking at JPJ's face and he snaps the ball and it's a run play to his left. And you see him reach out with his offhand grab the guy's arm and literally takes the the shaded nose tackle from his left shoulder and moves him to his right shoulder against his will. And the run goes off the left side and there's a pretty decent game. And I'm like, that's just, you know, and maybe that's kind of, um, barbaric, you know, football of like take a man and move him against his will. But I think there's a part of that that is what the Cowboys have been missing inside is just that. And seeing something like that from JPJ, even if there's less, you know, less total offensive line snaps played in his career, um, gives me a little bit of confidence that he's going to come in and play between two all pros in terms of guys with multiple years of experience who have played really well and are two of the best in the league at their position. And, and from a mental experience standpoint, going to get plenty of help. And, uh, and from a, a, an ability on the field to just move guys when he needs to move guys. Um, that kind of is what gives me a little bit of an edge for JPJ over, over a guy like Barton. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's, I'm so scarred by the position flexibility thing of we'll, we'll pick an offensive lineman and, you know, we'll put the best five out there and it never, that never actually how the world works that, uh, <laughs> that I'm kind of let's, uh, let's pick a center to play center. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that, yes, the experience thing matters, but I think JPJ is just a, a really high quality player at the position that we, we saw him do it for, you know, seven or 800 snaps this year that, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of concern, even though he's only done it for one season. Yeah, no, I got you. I was just curious because, like I said, yeah. having – because that's – in his scouting report, I actually had a couple – you know, a couple sentences that are like, hey, love the player. I think he can de- develop into, you know, a pro bowl level center, has the size, has the strength, has everything you look for. But I do think from a technical standpoint – an aspect of his game just from not playing the position much, especially in college, like he might need a year or two before he really reaches, you know, that ceiling. You know, I I don't know if he's a guy that you're drafting in year one, he's coming in year one and just dominating right away because he's still kind of raw from a technical standpoint. And sure, he was a bully in in Oregon, but, you know, that's just not going to, not saying it's not going to be the case in the NFL, but normally there's some sort of a uh, learning curve there. You know, uh, you know these guys are just as big and strong as nasty as I am. You know, technically I need to match what they're bringing to the table. And you know, I think I think from a ceiling standpoint, JPJ probably has that higher ceiling as a center than a Barton or a Frazier guy. We'll probably get into here in a second. Um, but I do think he might be a you know lower floor coming out of the gate just because of that lack of experience and some of the technical refinement he might need in his game to to kind of match some of these you know quality interior defensive linemen. Yeah. So that, let's. With that being said, you mentioned his name. Let's transition to a guy who has in the last you know three seasons getting close to. 2,500, 2,700 snaps at center. And that is, uh, that's Zach Frazier from West Virginia. And um, he's a guy who is a little bit lower on most boards than JPJ or Graham Barton. For example, 
Um, JPJ on the PFF board is 17th overall. Graham Barton, they have moved on their big board to 28th overall. I don't know if that's reflected in their mock draft machine yet, uh, but you used to get crushed if you took him at 24 because <laughs> they had him in the 50s. Um, and then Zach Frazier is 34th. And we saw you know, a similar story on Dane Brugler's board where he had three, uh, three centers, if you include Graham Barton as a center, in the top 36 of his of his draft class. And so we've talked a lot about Barton and JPJ on the show. So I wanted for us to have the opportunity to have the conversation about Zach Frazier. Now, by now, everybody has heard the story of Zach Frazier getting hurt during the game. And it's like a, a late game, two minute drive. And he doesn't want his team to have to take a timeout. So he's like crawling off the field with a broken leg. Um, to try to get off the field before the officials stop the clock so that his team doesn't have to use a timeout because he broke his leg. Um, so that's the kind of toughness we're talking about here on top of 800 snaps at center, the last three, each of the last three years and across the board, one of the highest graded run block pass block zone gap period offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen in the 20, in 2023 in college football period. Um, now you could talk about the Big 12 competition. I think some of that is viable. Um, but again, a, a really solid center with a high level of toughness who is going to come in and be ready to play center as soon as he steps off of as soon as he steps off the plane at the star as, as the first round pick, because you would have to pick him in the first round if you, if you were going to pick him. Um, what's your take on Frazier? Do you, I'm sure you do prefer Barton over Frazier and why? So I, I do have Barton as my top ranked center. I have JPJ as my, so Frazier is my 31st overall player in this class. Jackson Powers Johnson is just ahead of him, and then Grant Barton is just ahead of both of those guys. That being said, I absolutely love Zach Frazier. Um, I think he's the West Virginia-like version, not comparing the players exactly, but the West Virginia version of like a Tyler Linderbaum, a guy who's short, you know, he's, he's probably right at 300 pounds, you know, a little lighter, kind of in the ass, but he's built well. Um, he moves well. He's a good athlete. He's a dominant run blocker. He's a great pass protector. Um, uses use you know just plays with such good leverage and body control. Um, really good balance. You rarely ever see him on the ground. He's built really like he's built short and stocky, so he looks like your typical center. Um, you know, from a size standpoint, I think he's probably going to get dinged for being you know an undersized guy. You know, from a a height and weight perspective, probably a length perspective as well. Uh, but you just you see the guy play with really good body control. You see him play with really good balance. He's never on the ground. He's so physical um, and aggressive at the point of attack. I think he can play, you know, on the move in the second level. He can do that stuff really well too. Um, really, the biggest red flag is you know his his level of competition. You know, he he played at West Virginia, so he wasn't a guy that was going up against you know SEC and you know, power, power five, you know, interior defense alignment who are going to get drafted in the first round all the time. He, he does, he didn't see that competition. He he had a, you know, the broken leg that you, you talked about that he wasn't able to go to the senior bowl or the shrine game and really show himself off against some of the best players in the country. So I think there's some concern there with the injury, you know, anytime a, a big, strong, you know, athletic interior offense alignment in general has a lower, you know, body injury, it always gives you some concern. Um, you know, I think he'll bounce back from that. You know, we, we, we've heard Dane Brugler. I, I've heard him mention a couple of times that he's, he's seen him doing sprints and stuff already. Um, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, but, uh, outside of the injury and like the level of competition and, you know, the lack of like ideal size that I don't think really shows up on film is hurting him a ton at West Virginia. I don't really have any concerns with Zach Frazier. I think he's, you know, I think if he didn't have the injury, he'd be, you know, a guy that would probably be pushing, you know, the top 25, top 20 in my rankings. And for most people, it's just, you know, he's coming off an injury that you're not really sure how he's going to bounce back from and you haven't seen him coming off of. And like I said, just playing at West Virginia and not playing at one of the Iowas or, 
you know, Washington's or Northwest, you know, one of those big offensive line schools, it's kind of tough to really buy into it. But that's, you know, that's why we say we always scout the player, not the team. And I think that he's got a really good, you know, chance to come in and even overtake JPJ or Graham Barton as the best center if he's able to come in and healthy and do that. Because I think he, he, from a technical standpoint, I think he's ahead of both of those guys as a pure center prospect. I just think obviously the JPJs and Graham Bartons have more size and probably have a little bit more length and, you know, probably a little bit more overall athleticism about them. But I think Frazier can come in, you know, he, he would be like the Travis Frederick pick where like, yeah, you might be able to get him in the second round, but I don't know. And then, you know, you, you pick him in the first round, he ends up just being a steady as you go, just overall, you know, a minus B plus style of player for you for seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know you talk about him as you know not being a big player. He he's listed, and I checked Dane's report, and I checked PFF. PFF has him at six three, three ten, and Dane has him at six two three fourteen. So he actually has Zach Fraser three pounds heavier than Graham Barton. And basically, and an inch, an inch shorter than JPJ. Now JPJ is three thirty four, according right. to uh, to to Dane's listing. So that there, there's a a difference in size there. That you're stepping up a weight class there. And and but, I do think he looks small on tape, but he doesn't necessarily play small. If that makes right, sense. right. And that's kind of what that's kind of what I was getting at is that he he looks a little small when you see him. Like just you know you look at him on the on the screen. But the way he plays doesn't play small, and he's not listed as small. And and you know you take that and combine, you know this is as Dane says he he won the genetic lottery for a center. So his dad's side of the family were football players, and his mom's side were wrestlers. So he's like was it was like he was bred to be an offensive lineman and bred to be a center. And so. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I think the moral of the story is, is that you have three options. You're picking at 24 overall. You have three options at what I think is probably your biggest at least going into free agency, your your biggest position of need. You don't have a starter on your roster at center. That creates a, a pretty large position of need. Um, and it's a position that the value works in the first round, and you have three options in that range that are all worth the pick there. It almost makes it too easy of a conversation for me and it's the you know the reason why we started there in January and why we'll probably continue having a similar conversation there is that you've got options at center at 24 overall and unless you address it in free agency in a way that you haven't historically addressed positions in free agency it's probably your best path to uh, a really good center in 2024 is taking one in the first round of the draft yeah no i definitely agree um all right, let's move on to our next position group. Like I said, I think that as you kind of touched on there, the center, there's three centers in this class that I feel like if any of those guys are the pick, you're you're pretty excited about or somehow they get added to the roster. 
um, you're pretty excited about. Like I said, you got you got one pure center, you got one guy who could you know probably be center guard who's played both, and then you got a guy who's played tackle solely pretty much for most of his career, but kind of projects as a better interior player. So I think all those guys bring you know different different traits and different things to the table that make them an exciting selection. Um, let's move to the defensive side of the ball and talk about a couple different linebackers. I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, so the linebacker I'm going to go with, surprise, surprise, is Edrin Cooper from AM. Um, you know, over the course of my time doing this, talking about draft stuff, I very rarely talk about Aggie players unless somebody asks me about them. Just because, you know, I want to try to be, you know, objective and unbiased and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm an AM guy. Edrin Cooper can play. And he can play essentially at all three levels of impact on a defense. He can play in the backfield, you know, had a, I don't remember the exact number, put up a crazy amount of sacks and tackles for loss for a linebacker this year. Um, Is good in coverage. You know, he gives up receptions in coverage, but had 19 coverage stops. So gave up 14 receptions on 16 targets as the defender, had 19 coverage stops, which is one of the best in the country this year. Um, He just is, he is to me what a modern day NFL linebacker looks like. He can play in the backfield. He can play down the field in coverage. You can put him on a tight end if you needed to. You can put him on a running back if you needed to. Um, is he going to shut down George Kittle for 40 snaps in a in a NFC Championship game at some point? Probably not. But if that's your plan, you got a bad plan anyway. And I hope that you know <laughs> at this point we got we got better plans going in. Um, but he's just he is a modern NFL linebacker. He's he six can do foot. It. He can do two, it all. Six, exactly. He's in the range of six three two thirty, which is like. Again, I did the work a couple of years ago, and maybe it's gone up or down a little bit right now. The average NFL linebacker in the NFL right now is like 225 or something like that. This is We no longer live in the world of the 245, 250-pound linebacker. It's why Leighton Vander Esch looked so massive on the field all the time is because that's not what linebackers look like anymore. That's what defensive ends look like, and he was playing linebacker. Um, now – with Edrin Cooper, probably the one big question would be, you know, he was a starter in 2022, played a lot of snaps, but he didn't have nearly the type of season in 2022 that he had in 2023. And now may, maybe the difference is he spent a lot of, he spent a lot more time coming downhill. He, he rushed the passer over twice as much in 2023 as he did in 2022. Um, even though the number of snaps were about the same um, and the number of coverage snaps were about the same. So really it was a shift in playing against the run versus pa- rushing the passer. And he wound up having a um, a really big impact, had 37 run stops in 2023, which was you know up at the top of the country as well, which is essentially a play that Stop! It's an essentially a negative EPA play for the offense on a run play. He he had 37 of those in you know in 250 run snaps. Um, he can do it all, and he's right at the size you want an NFL linebacker to be. And it's it's hard for me to sit here and say that go center in the first round. Edrin Cooper in the second round. Now, there's a lot of people who say Edrin Cooper won't be there in the second round. Who knows? But there's a lot of variation in linebacker boards depending on where, who you look and where you look. So there's a chance that Edrin Cooper may be our first or second linebacker for the Cowboys and be the fifth linebacker for half the other teams. You just never know. So um, it's hard for me to look at very many combinations and say, oh, something better than one of our three centers we talked about earlier and Edrin Cooper at the second round pick doesn't make maybe the biggest impact year one that this team could have. Yeah, no, I, I 
I really don't have much to add. Um, like I said, I don't really have a lot of cons with, with Edge Cooper. I think, as you said, like he's good in coverage, not great. I think that's an area that you would like to see him maybe be a little bit better in, but um, there's not a whole lot of negatives there. Uh, he's the top linebacker on my board. A guy that you know, I don't, I don't think he's gonna make it to you in the second round. But if he did, does, that's just a absolute slam dunk home run pick, and you should be really excited about that. Especially now with with Mike Zimmer, a defense coordinator, I think he can put him in a lot of advantageous situations and, and really get the best out of him. Um, now let's talk about my linebacker because um, this one's gonna be. I don't, I don't know if you've watched him much. There's been a lot of conversation about him. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., the Clemson linebacker. Uh, you see some people talking about drafting him in the first round. He's been a, you know, a really, I guess, probably consensus second round pick. Um, I, I'll start. This is a guy that did not make my top 100. Um, he's short at six foot. He's, you know, relatively light. He's a, he's a small linebacker. I guess let's just put it that way. You know, he's 230 pounds at six foot. Um I think he's got decent sideline to sideline speed and can you know run that straight line at a decent level. But I think he is a below average athlete from a change of direction standpoint, from an explosive standpoint. Um, a guy that I just don't see it with at all. Um, I'm not even considering him until you get into the third round, and even that's going to be early for me from a grade standpoint. Um, you obviously you, you know. You see signs of him being a, a quality box linebacker, a guy who can come forward, uh, but you see a lot of signs, too, of when he does come forward. If he doesn't break down and give himself enough time to change directions and mirror receivers, he gets left in the dust. Um, just just like I said, a lot of concerns with me um, with the change of direction, with the you know mirror match skills and coverage with the breaking down in space against athletes in the second level, I think he really struggled there. Um, I just, I, I have a lot of issues with Jeremiah Trotter's game and do not, like I said, like if, if he's a guy that they pick it 56 or whatever their second round pick is, I know a lot of people are going to be excited about that. I'll probably not be happy about it. And I'll probably have a lot of people mad at me because I'm not happy about it, but I'm letting it know now that it does not matter. I'm not, I do not not like him because he's a potential Cowboys draft pick. I do not not like him because there's a lot of concerns with me on tape for a small, lighter, not very good athlete that I feel like got taken advantage of a lot at the college level. And if that happens at college, it's going to happen a lot in the NFL. Yeah, it's a – it's a tough conversation with Trotter because it's one of those where we've seen over the past few years, so many of these guys who are legacies of NFL players. You know, we talked about, you know, Pat Sertan was talked about for, you know, ad nauseum for the Cowboys in 2021 and has been phenomenal with the Broncos. Uh, Joey Porter, we talked about a lot last year has been, was really good with the Steelers this past year. Um, You know, I think Jerry Rice's son is in this draft as a wide receiver. Like it's making me feel old that all these guys have kids who are now old enough to play in the league. But this one feels like this one feels like the biggest stretch to me, Um, or maybe not the biggest stretch, but one of the bigger stretches of these between like what the perception of him is as a player. And I don't know how much of that is driven from um, – I don't know how much of that is driven by the fact that he, you know, is Jeremiah Trotter's son, the fact that he played at Clemson. I don't know. Um, but I agree with you that the tr- it feels like the transition for him from the college game to the NFL game has a chance to be pretty rough. Um, you know, weight wise, he's fine. But when you talk about size for these guys, you know, it comes down to height. It comes down to length, all that kind of stuff. And for a guy who already, you know, has some struggle getting off blocks at the college level, um, who doesn't have length that he can just depend on, 
who can't move. <laughs> and, and who is not, you know, and we'll see combines in a, in a week or two, I think. We'll see how the testing turns out. But he doesn't look like on tape the kind of player who can outrun blocks at the second level, who can beat an offensive lineman to the spot and make a tackle. Um, and if that's the case, I'm kind of with you. I don't know how you spend a top 50 or 60 pick on this player. If you take the name off of the player's helmet, I don't know how you spend a top 50 or 60 pick on a six-foot linebacker who struggles to get off blocks. Now, we saw we saw short king linebackers in Dallas play and play really well for this defensive coordinator. You know, Mike Zimmer yeah. was the defensive coordinator when uh, when Datwin – and Dexter Coakley were the defensive, were the linebackers here, um, and so he's at least didn't used to be scared of the short linebacker, but we'll see if if that's the case, if that holds now um, going forward. It's it's a very scary proposition to me to think about how much these Cowboys linebackers last year struggled with instinct, with getting off blocks, with being in the right place at the right time, um, and struggled with being, honestly, just being small. It's, you, know, you know, you're playing a 205-pound safety at linebacker, and most of the time you're playing dime, so your other box defender is another safety. Um, other, so you've got one real linebacker on the field, and he's a, he's a guy who you want to be a will run and hit linebacker, not a, a Mike coming downhill linebacker. It's it, it's real hard for me to say, again, you know, we had this conversation with the center. It's real hard for me to say, okay, Jeremiah Trotter is going to come in here and he's going to be the guy who brings the different um, feel to the linebacker position that you feel like it needs. Um, I don't necessarily feel like that is uh, like that is the path. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, like I think he's – I think he's a good straight line athlete, but struggles with that change of direction. You know, he, he kind of remember the year that towards the end of Jalen Smith's tenure, where he like, just use him as a pass rusher. Like he wasn't very good at that either, but like, that was the only thing he could do that wasn't hurting the team. Like, it's kind of like, and again, I'm not saying he can't develop, but like coming into the league, like that's like his best trait is his straight line speed and explosiveness, but there's just not much much left to his game after that right now. Like, he's not a great tackler. He can't change direction. He's fine in, like, zone drop coverage, but I think in man-to-man coverage, he's really going to struggle staying with the NFL tight ends. Like, I don't know. I just I just think he's a guy who, who like you said, is kind of getting overvalued right now because of his name, and I think that, that he's going to get overdrafted and somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. But I'd love to be wrong. I love when guys come out of college and prove me wrong, too. Absolutely, I'm right there with you. Especially when it's a guy I don't see it with. I'm always, I'd always rather a guy prove me wrong by being better than I hope he was, than being worse than I thought he'd be. Absolutely. Um, all right, last one. We're going to talk about two wide receivers, a position that I think is a sneaky need for this team. Um, I'll start it off. Uh, I want to go with Jalen Polk, the Washington wide receiver, who is one of my favorite players in this draft class. Um, I know I have him graded much higher than most people, but he's just a dude that that I just don't see any weaknesses with. He's he's and we say this about his teammate Roma Dunze, like you know he's an A minus player across the board. Everything he does, he doesn't have that one like A plus plus trait, but everything he does is an A minus. I think Jalen Polk's very similar. Um, six two, two hundred five pounds, really good route runner, good after the catch. Excellent, you know, ball catcher. He catches with his hands, strong catches, fights through contact, great blocker. Like, he does everything you want from a receiver at a very high level. He doesn't have that one, what I would say, elite trait. I think he's very close to being an elite route runner. Um, I think his his good releases are really, really good. He does, he does kind of stall into his releases some. Sometimes I think he tries to set his releases up a little too much which takes time, and sometimes that he doesn't have time to do that. So I'd like to see him speed his process up on his releases sometimes just to get off the ball and get get open, uh, create separation, great hands catcher. Like I said, he just checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, I said this on Twitter, and I, I learned this from Dalton Miller a couple of years ago. You know, He said you always hide your, your takes on a podcast or in an article, 
in my my hidden take, I, I did say it on Twitter yesterday, but it was just in a reply. I'm not saying that Jalen Polk is Justin Jefferson, but I'm saying he shows me a lot of shades of Justin Jefferson as a route runner, as a you know ball winner at the catch point, just doesn't drop footballs. Like he does a lot of exciting things for me, and he is my first not he's my he's my top non true first round grade. So I got a one two on him right now. Um and I think that he's got the ability to, you know, I think he's a guy who's gonna get drafted. You know, he might be available for the Cowboys in the second round, which I'd love that. But uh I think he's got ability to get drafted uh much lower than his skill set says. And I think that he's gonna have a a really big impact in the NFL. Yeah, you know, we've reached this point with wide receiver that we're having this conversation every year. There's a ton of them. And because there's a ton of them, a guy like uh, a guy like this, a guy like Polk that you're talking about, is Dane Brugler's 54th overall player. And I think he's like his 10th wide receiver. And so the odds that there are 10 wide receivers that go in the top 55 picks is pretty small. So there's there's going to be whether it's Polk or another one of these wide receivers, somebody who's probably there for you in the second round. Um, and I will say that the high the the take in the podcast is is wonderful wisdom, <laughs> um, just wonderful because it's a whole lot harder for somebody. It's harder to 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 share and roast somebody for a take on a podcast than it is on a, on a tweet. But there there's part of me that like can see it. Especially like when you just talk about the the context, right? Like Justin Jefferson was at LSU at the same time as Jamar Chase, you know, was part of this big, super high-flying offense, but was not necessarily the guy who got the most attention. And he was the guy who there were questions about coming out because could he be a guy who plays outside? He never had to play outside at LSU because he was there with Chase and there was another LSU wide receiver that I'm blanking on right now, but um, a, a very similar situation in terms of wide receiver depth that, to what Washington had. Washington just happens to have all their guys coming out this year instead of spread out over two years. Um, and so I can absolutely see where you would, where you would pick that comparison up Um and I do think that that kind of receiver, um, that kind of, you know, consistent, tough, like you said, hands catcher, you know, with some size. Six, at, Dane's got him at 6'2", 204. Um, you know, he's not the 6'5", you know, massive guy, but ball winner, bigger guy, all that kind of stuff. I could I could see the Cowboys liking that idea, and I could see it going very well for them. Uh, <clears throat> and I could see that that pathway for Polk as a player is down kind of the really surprising, really high end wide receiver earlier in a career than people expect. Yeah, he's just so like I said, he's so much fun because you got you got McMillan, you got Adunze, you know, you got Penix, you got you know they got a decent running game, so it's like you sometimes just forget and then you turn on the tape and, you know, like, again, like there's, there's plenty And some people are going to say, well, he didn't dominate, you know, he didn't have the 15, 1600 yard season. It's like, well, yeah, when you got a Dunze and you got McMillan and you got Washington winning a lot of games and they're not necessarily throwing it across the yard for four straight quarters. Like, but you just see some games where he's able to, I love the way he stays engaged in games as a blocker. Like, I think that, that it sounds silly because you're drafting receivers to go be receivers, but in college, I love that. I could care less about blocking in the NFL from a receiver standpoint. You know, you, you see it from teams all the time, and you love it when you see it. But if CeeDee Lamb's not a great blocker, but he's going to keep doing the things he's doing as a receiver, I'm going to go, okay, just keep keep being that dude. But, you know, you just from coming out of college, you love to see that tenacity. And, and um, like I said, I just – I think he's – I'm not saying that he is Justin Jefferson, but I think when Justin Jefferson was coming out of college, he was kind of paired as, hey, he's not that six foot five, you know, he doesn't have the the burners, you know, to, he wasn't this dynamic athlete. Like he was just a, 
really smooth operator. He was a great route runner. He caught everything you threw to him. He was pretty damn good after the catch. Like a lot of those same things we were saying about Jefferson coming out of LSU a few years ago, we're saying the same things about Jalen Polk coming out of Washington. And like I said, they're very similar in size, the way they win. Not saying he's going to turn into Justin Jefferson. I just think that coming out of college, both of those the, both of those guys compare very similarly coming out of school. Yeah, I could see the narrative playing out in a similar way for sure. It, you know, he's not going to reach the ceiling that Jefferson reached in his rookie year just because nobody was. with it with a guy like CD Lamb in the fold. It's so heavily entrenched. He's not going to get the target share that Justin Jefferson got as a rookie, but. If you get that same style of receiver and pair him with the style of receiver you have at CD Lamb, you you have the opportunity to do something special. Yep. Our, our other wide receiver that we're going to talk about is, you know, I talked about an AM guy earlier. We're going to talk Texas now, and we're going to go with Xavier Worthy. And Xavier Worthy is maybe maybe it's as opposite of a player from from what we talked about with Jalen Polk as there can be, and that he is, you know, maybe a little less consistent on the ball catching front, not going to be a contested catch player uh, at all, but does have just the, the pure burner speed. And when you get the ball to, and this is one of the things that I think that the Cowboys offense needs a little bit more of, is that ability to get the ball in somebody's hands and it go from nothing to 12 yards yep. and and have it happen in a way that everybody kind of looks around and goes, what the heck? How did that happen? Or catches a slant in a seam and all of a sudden, instead of being a 16, 18-yard gain, it's a 60-yard gain because he's able to fit in an angle that nobody else on the field is. And that's a dynamic that Worthy brings that, um, that this Cowboys team has not had any – very, very long time. And they have, you know, some faster, they have speed on the team. You know, Kevontae Turpin is clearly very fast. <laughs> and, you know, CeeDee Lamb is not slow. He's not, you know, burner speed. Brandon Cooks is not the same burner that he was early in his career, but, you know, still has a speed element that they hadn't had before. Um, now you're going to have to get over some size concerns with Worthy. Worthy is six one, so okay on the height front, but like yeah, that hasn't. Yes, extremely. One seventy two is where he, where he's listed by both Dane and PFF. So, in the low one seventies, but has a burst and a breakaway speed that this Cowboys offense just doesn't possess, and the ability to win with the ball in his hands that I think would make a pretty massive difference for this offense um, in a way. And I I think he fits in kind of an interesting way with the, the two guys that you have already and as, you know, a potential wide receiver, like big play wide receiver two, um, who is going to who develop over the course of time. And, you know, Dak is not like a super contested catch thrower on the outside anyway. So to me, that, that doesn't, you know, that's not a, as much of a hit to me for the Cowboys as it might be for other teams, just because the quarterback doesn't like to put the ball in those situations anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I love worthy. Like I said, I think, I think his projection, a lot of that might be where he ends up and kind of the, the role he's thrown into. Cause I don't think you want him being a guy who's running, you know, the full route tree all the time. Like he's kind of a guy that you might have to manufacture some touches for right away until he kind of develops that route tree. But you said it. I mean, he's he's super explosive, super fast. A guy that you can just kind of hit on the screens, and he's able to he's able to you know make big plays off of you know tunnel screens and and screens out. Of, I know he caught the ball out of the backfield a little bit, but um, you know I, I do like him a lot as a kind of you know a scheme scheme centric player. Um, I'd be interested to see how because we didn't see McCarthy use like we saw them use CD in some screens. Like their screens were always kind of funny because they would run them at times where you didn't think you should run them or would run or run them. But like we kind we kind of asked like Brandon cooks to get involved with some screens. Cause that was something he's kind of had some, some success with throughout his career. But um, I think, you know, if it's something they want to incorporate, you know, and again, like he's a guy who can dominate kind of that slant, you know, route, the, the post routes and stuff that doesn't take a whole lot of, you know, nuance to run. I think he can do a good job of that, especially when he's able to kind of threaten up field with his speed and then bring things back to the ball. 
Um, but no, like, you know, from a return standpoint, we know you got Tur Turpin, but he could, you know, develop into a returner. He could develop into that quick game speed guy. You know, I think he, he brings an interesting skill set to the table. It's just, you know, I don't think he's a guy that every team in the league is going to love because they might not use him the way that, you know, he's going to be best suited to be used. Right. Absolutely. And the, we saw this team use, you know, it's, he may to some people feel a little bit redundant to Brandon cooks um, in that, you know, cooks is a little bit of a body catcher. He's not a super contested ball guy. Um, I think cooks just, has lost a little bit of his speed threat though. Like, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm getting at is yeah. that it's almost like you're getting an, and I think cooks fits very well with CD lamb. And I think you're getting like a little bit of a souped up version of that um, with Worthy and that you pair him with Cooks with Lamb. And now like defenses still have to worry about Brandon Cooks down the field. He's not, you know, bur super burner that he was when he came in the league, but he could still get down the field and win. And he caught eight touchdowns this year. Like he he's to the he's like in the veteran part of his career, just gets open a lot of different ways kind of guy. But like if you are able to put Worthy on some of those deep overs and some of those shallow crossers and things like that where against man coverage, all he has to do is just run away from his guy. He doesn't have to be super technical in a in a, a top of the route. Um, I think he's got a chance to be like one of those guys who doesn't catch a ton of balls but makes a big impact. Um <clears throat> scores a few touchdowns and really changes the way teams have to defend. Um, and kind of like how Detroit used Jamison Williams down the stretch where it like, it's not like he was catching five or six balls a game, but he'd catch a deep ball. They'd throw him a screen. They'd get him, give him an end around and he'd have, you know, by the end of the game, you'd look up, he'd have three play, you know, three touches for a hundred yards and a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. And like, he doesn't have the size that you usually think of with this kind of role. But, like, I kind of love the idea of they started doing this with CD in the middle of the second half of the year just to get the ball in his hands more. But if you put Xavier Worthy as the the single receiver on the on a three-by-one set and then you have Brandon Cook, CD Lamb, and Jake Ferguson on the other side, teams are going to want to roll coverage to that Cooks-Ferguson-Lamb side for Plenty of obvious reasons, you know, the the 2,500 or no, it was more than that, probably 3,000 receiving yards between the three of them. And, you know, I don't know, 15 or 18, something like that touchdowns between the three of them that's over there. But if you don't cloud the side, if you don't cloud as in put a safety over the top of the side with Xavier Worthy over there and he beats that corner off the line of scrimmage, it's it's a touchdown on that side of the field. And so it creates some really interesting dynamics in terms of how teams have to defend you that I really like the idea of. And I think with some motion stuff and some of the things that they did in 2023, that hopefully will become more ingrained as part of what the offense is built to be in 2024. Um, a guy like Xavier worthy to me is very interesting in that way. Yep. No doubt. I definitely agree. All right, that's all the time we have for today. We went a little bit longer than we were hoping to, but we had some some prospects we needed to talk about and bounce each all, you know, bounce off of each other. So we uh, we got that out of the way. Uh, we might do this again in a couple weeks after the combine. We got the combine coming up, uh, starting next week, week after next. It's coming up. It's in the next week or two. Um, so we'll be coming back with a few more position groups. Like I said, we talked about uh, offensive linemen, linebackers, and wide receivers today. We'd like to talk about some of these corners, uh, some of these running backs, and then some of these defensive linemen. So we might get into this, uh, get into that, excuse me, after the combine once we get some testing numbers thrown at us. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening. We appreciate everyone following along the Blogging the Boys podcast feed. Make sure you have subscribed to the Blogging the Boys podcast feed on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are talking the draft. See you then.
first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.